This episode is brought to you by Daniela Falecki's Teacher Wellbeing Cards. These 52 cards give you simple daily reminders to help better support your well-being. You can use them in staff meetings to build positive conversations or have them in your desk as little pieces of advice to help you get through the day. Find these cards and Daniela's other resources at teacher-wellbeing.com.au. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. How are you this week? It's getting to be that time of term when deadlines are imminent, parent-teacher meetings are happening, and the paperwork is piling up. So I've got a really interesting topic for you today. Uh, But before we get into it, I just want to do a few announcements. As I mentioned on last week's show, uh, don't forget that I am running a webinar on the 5th of April at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, and it is called Preventing Burnout, The Missing Link. So I'm going to be talking about what burnout is and um, what I see as one of the missing links and how the barriers to self-care can contribute to burnout. And we're going to touch on a little bit in this episode, and I've talked before about how there's, there's more than one side of burnout. So it's not just the physical exhaustion that is the only symptom of burnout. And I touch on that a little bit in this episode, but I'm also going to go into that in um, in some more depth in that webinar. So you can sign up to that. Remember, it's April the 5th at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Um, you can sign up to that at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash webinar. And uh, there will be a link in the show notes. And also there will be a replay if you can't make it live. I know that it is actually school holidays for some people, so you might be away on holidays having a great time and good for you. A couple of other announcements. There are also some limited spots still available for life and wellbeing coaching with me. Uh, if your cup is empty and you feel like your well is running dry, and I think that the end of term is a really good time to assess that. It, you know, if that's how you're feeling, then coaching can be for you because together, you know, we can help you set some goals for your health and well-being, create a plan um, and discover and overcome some of the barriers to self-care that might be holding you back uh, from from thriving in the classroom and in life. And so you can find out more about that at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash coaching. And you can also book a free discovery call there with me just so we can have a chat and see if you and I vibe together and if we'd be a good fit. And remember also that if you'd like to support the podcast, you can become a Patreon supporter, uh, which you can do at patreon.com forward slash self-care for teachers. And you can be amazing like Kirsty and help me bring you these stories and expert interviews that, um, that I'm doing and help the podcast be more regular. So check that out over at Patreon. And also I'm looking for help with my book. Remember, I'm writing a book and I I want two pieces of help from you this week. If you'd like to help me with my book research, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to schedule a time to chat. 
I'll need about 40 to 60 minutes of your time to answer some questions via Skype or Zoom, so that online call conferencing platforms. Um, and you, you can remain totally anonymous if you prefer. Um, obviously, you need to tell me your name, but I don't have to publish any of that information under your name. So what I'm trying to do with that is gather a range of teacher stories um, to supplement some of the information that I talk about in the book and also to guide some of the information that I share in the book um, and on this podcast as well. Uh, so there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to help with that. The cutoff is the end of April. So um, because obviously I have to get kicking with actually getting the book out into the world. Exciting. So um, please, if you have some time on the school holidays and you think you can help me with that, please do book um, for an interview. And if you don't think you have the time, but you'd still like to, you know, give me your teacher stories, happy for you to just email me too, ellen at selfcareforteachers.com.au. I really want to hear from you. And I've heard from quite a number of you recently and via Instagram too, which has been great. Um, so please do keep giving me your feedback because it really helps me, um, to hopefully refine the information that I'm bringing you, uh, to be useful and valuable to you. And also, I just like hearing from you. It's cool. I'm really enjoying some of the conversations, so keep it up. And the other piece of help that I want this this month is I'm actually looking to figure out what I'm going to call the book. I'm brainstorming topics. And I really want to know as a teacher if you resonate with the word self-care or if you feel it's like namby-pamby and lacks substance. Um, because uh, so far, the response I'm getting is a bit sort of 50-50. Some people love it. I'm, I'm obviously one of them. That's why I called my business self-care for teachers. But some people seem to be really not enjoying that word. Um, so, yeah, love to know what you think. What does self-care mean to you? Do you resonate with it or do you feel like it's all just like, eh, get a massage, whatever, you know, lacking of substance? Let me know. Email me, ellen at selfcareforteachers.com.au. Shoot me a message on Facebook, the Self Care for Teachers Facebook page. It's just facebook.com forward slash self-care for teachers. Um, and same on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash self-care for teachers. Let me know what you think. Would love, love, love to hear from you. Alrighty, let me get into today's episode. So in some of those conversations that I have with teachers, one of the things that a lot of teachers tell me about in terms of a challenge for them in their personal and workplace well-being is having a difficult person that they have to work with. Now, it might be a colleague, it might be a parent of one of the students in their class, or it might be their boss or somebody in management at their, at their school. And in fact, when I ask teachers, you know, what's your biggest challenge right now, it's very often about the management at the school in which they work. Not always, but often. But at the same time, we know because the research tells us and just because if you pay any attention at all, you'll pick up on it in conversations that the people in leadership roles in schools and particularly principals are also burning out and they're also suffering from the pressure of our education system and, and the stress-related illnesses that can come from that. So in many cases, they're actually under more pressure than teachers and the buck stops with them when it comes to those very difficult parent and community members and those other difficult colleagues and things. So everybody is under enormous stress and doing the best job that they can with the resources that they have available to them. And what by resources, I mean both the actual school resources that you've got, you know, in your budget or whatever, but also the personal internal resources that people have. Because at different times of the year, at different um, 
ages, different levels of life experience, whatever, whatever, people have different levels of personal internal resources available to them. So one of the questions that I often ask in a coaching session is, if you could wave a magic wand and change or eliminate you know, one thing in your life, that one thing that bugs you or that you're tolerating, what would it be? How would you change it? And of course, that's where the work really begins. Because the next question is often, and how specifically is it a problem to you? Whatever your answer to that question is, whether the thing you would change is your boss or it's your level of fitness, or whether it's that difficult parent of that student in your class, or it's your financial situation, or whether it's the amount of paperwork that you have, or whether it's the way your spouse does X, Y, Z that you know drives you bonkers. Whatever it is, however it's a problem to you, you have to get really clear on who owns that problem. And guess what? The really uncomfortable answer is that it's you. You're the one with the problem, so you're the only one who can own it. Because you're the one identifying that it's the problem. You're the one identifying, you know, in what specific ways it's a problem to you. So you're the only one who can own it. And that sucks. But actually, just before I go on, I want to be super clear. Um, I'm not talking about shifting blame as a manipulation tactic because I have seen that used in schools where people talk about what I'm talking about here is personal responsibility. But I have seen and heard of it being used in schools when there is an actual problem. In, in a school situation and it's just pushed back on an individual to say, well, you need to take personal responsibility for that, deal with it on your own. That's not what I'm talking about. And I'm definitely not talking about blaming the victim for situations when they're being bullied or harassed or abused, whether in the workplace or at home. That is not what I'm talking about here. That's a very different situation. Um, that's not the kind of victim stuff that I'm talking about at all. So I want to be very clear about that. What I am talking about is the times when you're making the problem, whatever the problem is that you're feeling, when you're making the problem that other person or that other thing, but not actually taking any responsibility for it yourself. So if we use a fairly non-controversial topic, like your fitness as an example, it might help you to see what I mean. So let's say you want to be fitter, perhaps you want to lose some weight, or you have some niggling physical ailments that you know would be much improved and resolved if you did more physical activity, but you're not doing any more physical activity. You're just complaining about the fact that you're not fit enough to do the things you want to do, or you can't keep up with your kids, or you still have that back problem that you know isn't getting better because you're not doing the exercises that the physio gave to you. And actually, I have that problem. I have a niggling back issue that is aggravated by certain activities and it's also very much alleviated when I do the stretching and strengthening exercises that my exercise physiologist has prescribed to me. But guess what? I often start to slack off on that front. I do them every day for a while and I feel good. So then I gradually start to not do them every day because I'm feeling okay. Then I avoid them and I procrastinate. I'm really tired tonight so it's easy to just go straight to bed and I'll do the stretching and strengthening exercises tomorrow night I would bet that there's something in your life that you've had an experience like that where you can relate to that feeling of, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, it's not urgent. It's important, but it's not urgent. So whose fault is it when that back niggle returns? Well, it's obviously mine. I very obviously didn't do the things that I was supposed to do to prevent that pain returning in my life. Do I resent and blame my exercise physiologist, who, by the way, is my husband, that the exercises don't work when I don't do them? No. 
Although sometimes in my own head, I do rail against how unfair it is that I have this pain and why me and other people don't have to do these stupid exercises and make the effort every single day to avoid having a sore back. Ever had any similar thoughts like that? Does that sound familiar? But ultimately, my higher self or my, you know, the mature grown up adult part of me knows that I'm not, I'm the only one that's responsible. I can rail against how unfair it is that I have to do it to avoid this back problem, but I still have to do it. <laughs> it's still up to me, right? If it is to be, it is up to me. Apparently, that's just what being a human adult is about. It's very annoying, but it's true. So what does this have to do with that difficult parent at school or your inflexible micromanaging school administration team? Well, even though there are other people involved, it's essentially the same thing as my back issue. I think it's Einstein who said we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Now, you didn't create the problem of that difficult person in your work or in your life, but as I've said before, what got you here won't get you there. So you have to get really clear on whose problem this really is. It's yours. You can't control them. Now, logically, I'm sure you know this already. You probably say it to your students every time they have a squabble in the playground. The only person that you can change in this world is yourself. The only person you can control is yourself, right? We know this, but sometimes we need reminding of it as the adults as well. Relationships are a dance made up of patterns. Now, this is all relationships, not just um, intimate relationships with your loved ones, but also work relationships, you know, interpersonal relationships with the students and with the parents and with the staff. They're all patterns of relating. When you shift your focus from them being the problem to what you can do about it and who you can be in response, it changes things. Because as frustrating as it is, you're the only one you can control and sitting in that poor me victim mindset isn't changing anything, is it? So There is an author that I absolutely love who has a lot of really good advice on this subject. Her name is Harriet Lerner. That's L-E-R-N-E-R, which I think I just doubly love because obviously I'm a lifelong learner and um, her last name is Lerner. Ha-ha, pun. Anyway, she's amazing. Read her books. Her book, The Dance of Anger, would be my number one recommendation. And I'm going to talk about some things quoted here. So, So she says that when one person changes their approach in a relationship the whole relationship has to change. Now, it may not be the change you're after, but change will occur. So in her book, The Dance of Anger, Harriet Lerner writes, the problem occurs when we get stuck in a pattern of ineffective fighting, complaining, and blaming that only preserves the status quo. Now, that's really important. So our ineffective patterns of relating are preserving the status quo. Now, if there's a situation with somebody at work or at home, for that matter, if you're not liking, you're not liking the status quo, you're not happy about it, then you've got to get really clear on the fact that the patterns in the way you're relating to this person are preserving the status quo. So she then goes on to say, learning to observe and change our part in relationship patterns goes hand in hand with an increased sense of personal responsibility in every relationship that we're in. And by responsibility, I do not mean self-blame or labeling of ourselves as the cause of the problem. Rather, I speak here of responsibility. 
That is the ability to observe ourselves and others in interaction and to respond to a familiar situation in a new and different way. We cannot make another person change his or her steps to an old dance. But if we change our own steps, the dance can no longer continue in the same predictable pattern. So that's what I'm talking about here. If we change our steps in the old dance, the dance can no longer stay the same. Those predictable patterns, the status quo has to change. It might not be the change that we want yet, but it has to change. She goes on to say, each of us belongs to larger groups or systems that have some investment in our staying exactly the same as we are now. I'm just going to pause there. I'm sure that you can think of many ways that schools individually and our school system is very invested in us as teachers and and school leaders staying exactly the same as we are now. Organizations, another podcaster that I listen to a lot named Rob Bell, um, he talks about organizations and families and any kind of groups of people um, and institutions being invested in their own survival. So they're invested, just as Harriet Lerner says here, they're invested in the people within them staying exactly the same. Anyway, I'll get back to the quote. She goes on to say, if we begin to change our old patterns of silence or vagueness or ineffective fighting and blaming, we will inevitably meet with a strong resistance or counter move. There are few things more anxiety arousing than shifting to a higher level of self-assertion and separateness and maintaining this position despite the counter moves of the other person. So if we change our steps in the dance, we have to expect that the other person's um, response, their, their steps in the dance in response, will probably challenge us because it, it by stepping up and making some kind of change in the way we're approaching a situation or a person, you know, we're, we're changing things and that situation, that relationship, the the institution um, is invested in, in the status quo staying the same. So we just have to expect that it's going to arouse anxiety in us. She says there are few things more anxiety arousing than shifting to a higher level of self-assertion and separateness and maintaining that position despite the counter moves of the other person. Now, it's not always what happens, but it's just something that we have to be aware of and to manage our own feelings of anxiety about changing our steps in the dance. If we know that that's what's going to happen, we know that that's a normal response. It's normal to, to be really nervous about maybe speaking up in a meeting in a new way or about holding firm with a parent instead of backing down or whatever the situation is, whatever change in the dance you want to make, it's normal to be very anxious about it or to experience symptoms of anxiety. So just be aware of that. Then she goes on to say that fighting and blaming is sometimes a way to both protest and to protect the status quo when we're not quite ready to make a move in one direction or the other. There's nothing wrong with wanting to change somebody else but the problem is that it usually doesn't work. That's the end of the quote. So I'm going to repeat one of that second last line. Fighting and blaming is sometimes a way to protest and to protect the status quo when we're not quite ready to make a move in one direction or the other. So we are both protesting the situation because we're unhappy about it, so we want to bitch and moan about it, but we're actually not really changing anything. We're maintaining the status quo because we haven't changed our steps in the dance. Okay, I hope you're still with me here. I want to share a personal story 
And it was about a time during my teaching career that I had a problem with a new um, school leader. And I'm going to protect all the individuals here that were involved as much as possible. But I share this because, you know, I get it. I understand how frustrating it can be as a normal everyday teacher just trying to do your job and you're finding that your ability to do your job is being hindered in some way by the actions of a manager or a school leader. I'm just going to use the word manager here. But, yeah, I think you'll see why that quote, fighting and blaming is sometimes a way to protest and protect the status quo because we're not quite ready to make a move in one direction or another. You'll see how that relates when I share this story. So we got a new manager at this school in my department and um, it came at a time that I was also going through some some big changes in other areas of life. I'd also been through a couple of managers already and frankly I was feeling pretty jaded and pretty cynical. And I tell you that because it's, it's relevant. Um, it's not an excuse, but it's relevant. I didn't know at the time because physically I was well. I'd been doing lots of work to look after my physical body and my physical health, my sense of physical energy. But I still had classic burnout symptoms of pessimism and skepticism and distrust. So just keep that in mind too. And in hindsight, I can see that I was really mentally burnt out, even though I wasn't physically burnt out. And and we're going to talk about that on the webinar. So this new manager came in and made some changes to the way things were done in our department. And they were actually also changes that flew in the face of some of the other changes that had already gone on, you know, about six months prior with the previous manager. Um, So I was obviously also feeling pretty cross at having to redo things that had only just recently been redone. I'm sure that working in schools, you know what that feels like because it happens, you know, curriculum changes, whatever. It's very annoying, but it has to be done. But it felt like overkill to me, unnecessary busy work. As I said, I was really cynical and frustrated and I blamed him. And not only was I blaming him, this manager, in my own mind, you know, I wasn't just doing that kind of bemoaning the situation, it's so unfair, poor me in my brain. I was also venting about my feelings of blame and resentment to some of my colleagues repeatedly. And, you know, every time we got a new email with new directions of what we're supposed to do, or we left a staff meeting where there'd been changes announced, I was pretty open about my frustrations. Um, And I was way more comfortable than I should have been in um, sharing my opinions that the reason for all of my frustrations was him. It was all his fault. Did I approach him with constructive feedback or try to negotiate on the things that I felt were unnecessary? Nope. I just bitched and moaned like a classic whinging teacher. I was in complete victim mindset um, because in my mind, there's nothing I could do. It was all his fault and it was all unfair and I was just a victim to the system. And then one day I was mid-rant to a colleague about him and he walked into the room. I was mortified and so I should have been because I had been behaving really unprofessionally and I knew it. Serves me right, really. That's what, that's healthy guilt, right? Sometimes I talk about why we shouldn't feel guilty for prioritizing ourselves and, and practicing self-care because most of the time that guilt is, is false guilt. Well, this was true guilt. I'd done something wrong and it was, you know, serves me right to feel guilty because I'd done something wrong and I deserved to feel guilty for it. I knew that I'd been behaving unprofessionally. So um, to his absolute credit, he didn't rant and rave back um, and he didn't engage in any kind of public confrontation. We had a series of private conversations um, where he actually really gained my respect and I pretty quickly woke up to the fact that none of these school decisions were being made to personally spite me. 
imagine that. Imagine schools not revolving around me, right? Um, and also pretty much all, if not most of these decisions, were not even his decisions. He was just the messenger. Um, and I had to eat humble pie. I did apologize. Uh, and I learned a painful and valuable lesson. But I want to draw your mind back to that quote, fighting and blaming is sometimes a way to both protect and protest the status quo. So I was protesting pretty vocally, but I was also keeping things exactly the same. And the reason is I wasn't ready to actually make any changes. I was not quite ready to make a move in one direction or another. In another excellent book of Harriet Learners called The Dance of Connection, she also says this. She says, when anxiety is high enough and lasts long enough, even the most resourceful adult can act badly. When you observe any system under chronic stress, you'll see the extremes. The parents are rigid and authoritarian, or the family operates like a blob of protoplasm without clear leadership and boundaries. The lines of communication get shut down. Now, I hope that you never have to learn the lesson that I learned um, through experience, but I share it because only after the fact can I see how much my own stress from personal and professional sources and my lack of responsibility for those stress levels, but also my lack of responsibility for my part in that working relationship made a difficult situation much worse than it should have been. But it doesn't really matter how much stress you are under. There's actually no excuse for unprofessional behavior. The other people you are working with, whether they're other teachers, leaders, or the parents of students, or the students themselves, you know, those really tricky to deal with students, they're all dealing with their own stress and we're all human beings. I know it's really hard to get any perspective on that when we're in the thick of frustration with other people, but it's true and it's really important to keep in mind. I have spoken to many, many teachers who are having a difficult time with somebody at work, usually somebody in a leadership position, but not always. Sometimes it's, it's another colleague. And teachers tell me that they're frustrated because they're not getting enough support on behaviour or communication with a parent or on curriculum or workplace changes. The list goes on. And the fact is that schools are incredibly complicated places and the mental and emotional labour that everybody is doing, everybody, is hard work. School decision-making is incredibly complex and managing any groups of people, students in your classroom, the parents of the students in your classroom or the staff in a school, that, that management of people amounts to a huge amount of pressure. Are there terrible managers out there? Yeah. Are there people in leadership positions doing a less than stellar job managing people? Probably. Are there teachers behaving unprofessionally in response? Yes. Are there parents whose behaviour is hindering instead of helping their child's success in school? Of course. We've all met them, right? And some of us have been those people. It's very humbling to me because that experience has really helped me understand um, exactly what Harriet Lerner, you know, the quote said before, which was that when anxiety is high enough and lasts long enough, even the most resourceful adult can behave badly. So I, I have a lot more understanding of that and empathy for that. But that, that doesn't mean that I would want to to behave that way again next time. What we choose to focus on makes a really huge difference to our experience of the world. And at that time, I was focusing very much on how the other person was the problem, not on my role in the situation or what I could do to even just alleviate it slightly for me. What we focus on 
has a huge impact also on the choices we make about how we behave at work and at home. Harriet Lerner says that it's abundantly clear that we can't control other people's reactions, but the choice to not change ourselves is a surefire way to keep things in the same place or move the relationship from bad to worse. The choice to not change ourselves is a surefire way to keep things in the same place or move things from bad to worse. It's a choice. What will you choose? So remember, relationships are a dance made up of a pattern of steps and we can get really stuck in our habitual ways and stick to the same steps over and over and over. But if you change your steps, the other person is forced to change theirs. You might not like what they change their steps to, but then again, you go back to focusing on what you can control, your steps, nobody else's. It's not easy. I know. And it's particularly difficult when you're in the grips of, you know, huge amounts of stress and if you're feeling burnt out, you know, you, that's when your physical and mental resources are, are lacking. And and if that's where you're at, then I highly recommend that you reach out to get support in that process, whether it's a trusted friend or um, a, co- a colleague or somebody that you can trust at work or a therapist if you feel that that's what you need or a coach. And, you know, I've interviewed several people now on the podcast who can help with that. So I'm available for coaching. Katrina Burke is available for coaching. Daniela from Teacher Wellbeing, Daniela Falecki is available for coaching. You know, I've got a whole list of other recommended coaches as well. You know, there, there will be somebody that can help you with this if that if you are ready to take that step of of focusing on your steps in the in the dance and changing your steps rather than focusing on you know whatever else is happening, whatever that you can't control. And also, if you want to dive more in depth in these topics, I highly, highly recommend Harriet Lerner's work. Um, I'll put some links in the show notes. It is amazing stuff. The Dance of Anger and The Dance of Connection are the two books that I quoted from today, but she's got many books and I can't recommend them highly enough, honestly. So remember, you can choose your focus. You can choose your steps in the dance. So choose well and get support if you need it. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. I'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in iTunes and share it with your friends. This really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash selfcareforteachers and on Instagram my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there.